right smack dab, well, let's call it five-eighths of the way through chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And we are dealing with the um, subject of spiritual gifts. And um, we had just concluded, we had looked at gifts of men, and we had looked at gifts that ha- that strengthen. And there's one more section of gifts, gifts that signal that we will look at, but I felt led that I should take some time and deal with this person, this man, this Holy Spirit who gives as he desires, um, who declares Jesus Christ, who enables Christians to operate in a supernatural fashion. And last week was our first message on this topic, the works of the Holy Spirit. And I basically started out with then and now. And um, I feel like I need to do it again today because I, I believe that um, the, you've heard of the term blaspheme. Can't everybody freaks out? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. I'll deal with that shortly. Okay. Well, in a few weeks. Okay. The word blasphemes, or to blaspheme, uh, a blasphemer, is someone who slanders. Okay. So to say something that is not true of somebody. Okay. Uh, I believe that the church today. Uh, blasphemes the Holy Spirit. Okay? And um, one of my favorite words, a plethora of ways. Um, Sometimes blaming Him for things He's not doing. Uh, Other times, um, we almost treat Him like He is inept. Um, So, and I kind of laid some foundations last week, and I showed you out of the Gospel of John, chapter 3, that unless you are born of water and of the Spirit, uh, you will not be born again. Uh, You are not His. And so salvation is a working of the Holy Spirit. And then I showed you in John 16 that He would come and guide you. He, he is your guide. He will make known to you the things of God, Christ, and the church. It's really kind of cool, actually. And um, I was going to move on to a few other things, but it dawned on me that I, I want to show you the then and now. Okay, and I, the text that we will go to eventually will be the book of Galatians. Okay. Uh, but I want to deal with him on a bigger schedule, bigger, big, huge framework again. And I'm going to ask the Lord, we'll take a moment of prayer that he would teach us. Father, um, I know that I am inadequate for this topic, this subject. And Father, I have no abilities. And yet, Father, um, the truth of your spirit. It's one of the greatest comforts that I have ever possessed. And Father, I pray that these precious souls this day would gather this truth. That Father, your spirit and your people would um, sear their souls in such a way to know that we are children of the Most High God and we are sealed and strengthened by the spirit of the living God. Father, um, Help us. Help us not be slanderers. Help us, Lord, to understand the energy and the power that is available to every single child of God through the Spirit that indwells them. Father, may we draw deeply upon these truths. In Christ's name, amen. All right, like I said, we started out in... And I, I kind of did the quantum leap thing out of First Corinthians 12 because it's, these are the words that he says. 
One is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, verse 7. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To the another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. To various And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. But to one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So you see the will of the Holy Spirit here. And he works. And I showed you, we looked at this last week, and that salvation is work of the Holy Spirit. That after salvation, I see a lot of Christians get saved, and then they just take off and they're going to go do whatever they want to do because, you know, the Spirit did his thing, and now it's time to go out and be whatever. Okay, but yet he still guides us. He enables us. He empowers us. And, and I, I think at times we get crooked on this. And literally, if you truly take it, what people do when they deny him, they are blaspheming him. They are, they are saying things about him that are not true. And it comes in, I gave you three lines of thought that I see in the church today, in my life, that I have been in the church, that for all intents and purposes are slandering the Holy Spirit. What is the experiential movement? Okay, the experiential movement. And that's when I base my worship on feelings. You know, it was, I call it the liver quiver. You know, well, a hair stood up on the back of my neck. Um, I had a policeman one time stick a shotgun in my face and made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Okay, and he told me to quit breathing, and I did. (laughs) No problem. Okay, and, 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 you know, there's things that will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck that are not the Holy Spirit. Um, You hear things describing the Holy Spirit these days that are, I can't find biblically attributed to him. So I call those the experientials. The next line that came down the pike is what I call the pragmatics. And these are the people who, have, uh, who believe man is very intelligent. Listen, he is. Man does some amazing stuff. And I, I'm not going to get into what man does. But man cannot perfect the soul. Man cannot save somebody. Man cannot do anything with the soul of, of, of an individual or even of himself. Even if he's given the information, he can't do it without divine enabling. And that comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. It's literally a, a, a God working through his spirit through an earthen vessel. Okay? And, and man throws... Uh, we see it today. We have music ministries all over the place, okay? But we also see Christian publishing, and, and, and we have curriculums, and we have this, and we have that, and we have this. Uh, I've had uh, three different people have approached me about writing a book. We want you to write a book. And, and I said, write a book? I, have, you, have you heard me talk? I mean, if you listened to me talk, you wouldn't, wouldn't want me to write it down. Um, and um, they said, but you have a passion for the church, and we would like for you to write a book about the church. God already did. It's, it's a good book. Um, I, I think if we would all read that one, then we would all have a passion for the church. It's an interesting concept. Okay? It doesn't happen through men writing books. Don't get me wrong. There's guys out there who are writing books that are good books. But it's heartbreaking to me to see the number of Christians who can read quote-unquote Christian literature who can't discern whether it's true or not. Why? They don't know what the book says. The real book. Okay? So you see what I'm trying to get at? So you have this pragmatism. Uh, I remember when I first came to salvation, the big thing in the church was to have an auditorium that was um, multifunctional. Okay? It, it had, uh, I mean, it was just weird to me to sit down in a church that had a foul line in it. I, but it was multifunctional. You take all the churches out and then you could have a basketball league or you could have a volleyball league and this, that, and the other. And, I, you know, I, I like basketball. When you're short, you like tall games. 
Okay, I like volleyball. That's great. But it always bothered me to listen to this guy preach standing at the free throw line. That was just sort of weird to me. But that was the big thing. You have to have this multifunction. Now you, they, call, they don't call them multifunction auditoriums. They call them life centers. Okay, well, I thought that Christ was life. Okay, so, so see, see how pragmatism works? And then out of pragmatism came what I call psychological sanctification. Okay, that you, you go to school and you get your whatever you get degree on psychology and then you become a counselor and you help people become holy. Okay, really? You really believe you can do that? Okay, I don't see that. Um, the counseling that I see works as well with lost people as it does save people. So what is it? And, 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 I, and I think that if you put those three together or any blending of those three, you begin walking a very fine line of slandering the Holy Spirit. And I believe over the next few weeks we'll see this. And, and, and I, you're going to see a little more of it today. I see four categories in the Old Testament that... That would be the then, how the Holy Spirit worked. One was in the book of Judges. One is the book of Judges. Do you remember, uh, Judges comes right after Joshua. And everybody knows what Joshua did. Joshua took him into the promised land. He concludes that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, you know, he divided up the land and all the rest of it. Well, they needed to have some oversights. And so God graced them with Judges. You know Judges. You've, you've read them. Samson was a judge. Samuel was the last judge. Um, you see Deborah. Uh, Barak was a judge. You see a whole bunch of these judges, and they were basically men and women empowered by the Spirit of God to literally um, have oversight over Israel um, in uh I'll just give you a whole bunch of different verses. You write them down. You get homework assignment. In Judges chapter 3, verse 10, you see the Holy Spirit empowering. In in Judges chapter 6, verse 34, you see it. In Judges chapter 11, verse 29. um, In Judges 14 through 19, you'll see it. But the one that I want to look at is the one that you and I have all bought into. Okay, Samson was a judge, right? Everybody in this room has heard of Samson, right? Jawbone of a donkey and a few other odds and ends. This guy was the proverbial kick-butt-take-name guy, right? He had taken a Nazarite vow. We all understand that. And how many of you believe that Samson lost his strength when Delilah cut his hair? Okay. Everybody believes that when they cut his hair, he became a weakling. Okay, that ain't true. I love you guys, but it ain't true. In Judges chapter 16, verse 20, it says this. She, that would be Delilah. Let me make a give you a little footnote. Men, if you're single today, stay away from Delilah. Okay, if you run into a very beautiful woman named Delilah, flee. Flee. I'm just, that's just, you know. Anyway, verse 20, chapter 16, she, that'd be Delilah, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Why did Samson lose his strength? The Lord had departed from him. The Lord had departed from him. Okay? Where did he get his strength then? From God. Was he set aside as a Nazarite? Absolutely. But so was John the Baptist, and I didn't see him beating up people. Okay? Please understand. The judges, what you see in the book of Judges, those men and women called by God, how were they strengthened? Spirit of God. Spirit of God. The last 
Like I said, the last judge that you will know of is Samuel. And you know why he was the last one? Because he was anointed by the Spirit of God. You know, conservatives hate that word, anointed. It was anointed. You know what? Jesus uses the word. Samuel uses the word. I like the word. I'm not giving up my good words because people don't like it. It's like the word charismatic. Okay, it comes from charisma, means under grace. I like that word. I think that's a good word. Okay, and we've put a little definition on it now for tragically that it ain't true. All right, so I like that. If people want to know I am charismatic, I am under grace. And I like that place. I mean, you may, uh, Terry's, Terry's running out of here. He's Baptist and he's charismatic. Yep, I'm under grace and I just like it. But I just ain't giving up my good words. Anointed, I like anointed. I don't want to be a mentor. Did you know that? I want to be a discipler. I just, those are just burrs in my saddle. Boy, those are good words. I like those words. I don't need mentorship. I don't need apprenticeship. Anyway, all right. Samuel is the last judge because Samuel goes to this guy named Jesse. Okay? And he's looking for something when he goes to Jesse. Does anybody know what it is? A king. He's going to unify the nation of Israel under one king. Now, they've already got a king. His name is Saul. But Saul has basically decided that he doesn't really need God's help and he can handle it. And God says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. And so he goes to Jesse, and Jesse trots out all of his sons, and Samuel says, No, you ain't, I I need a, there's one missing here. God has led me here. He's anointed me. These sons you've shown me ain't the one. Have you got any more sons? Because I don't think God brought me here by accident. He said, Well, yeah, I got a little runt. He's out watching the sheep. What's his name? David. Go get him. Brought him back. He says, God has, here's that word again, anointed you, king of Israel. Okay? That's why Samuel is the last judge. They moved from judges to what? King. And they wanted a king. Why? Because everybody else had a king. So we need to have a king. So God said, I'm going to give you a king. The second category that I see the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament comes out of the book of Exodus. Okay? Uh, It's an interesting text, fascinating text. It's in chapter 31, and I see it all over the place, but in Exodus chapter 31, I see the Holy Spirit do something here that is just just totally cool to me. Um, Beginning in in verse 1 through 11, uh, I'm going to try to read these names. The reason I don't teach a lot of the Old Testament is who wrote these names down okay but anyway now the lord spoke to moses saying i see i have called by name belzael the son of uriah the son of ur of the tribe of judah well why look what it says in verse 3 I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So a second category that I see is God takes and supernaturally infuses men to do trades work. These men, you see this all the way through the rest of Exodus, these men building stuff for the tabernacle, the brazen altar, the, 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 the stand for the showbread, uh, the cups, the goblets, all the implements that are used in the sacrifices are done by these craftsmen, not because, you know, uh, old Bell's out, he's, he's good with silver work here, we'll have him do it. No, God says, I will give him knowledge of the Spirit, through the Spirit, and He will do it. You see it in chapter 35, verse 31 of Exodus. You see it in chapter 36 and verse 2, and on and on and on. Okay, so I see judges were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I see craftsmen empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I also see some others. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to show you that Holy Spirit empowering is not a new phenomenon. It is consistent throughout Scripture. The third group, national leaders. 
national leaders. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, you see Samuel, the last judge, go and anoint who? David. And it says the Holy Spirit gave him wisdom. You see it in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 27. And you see David testify of this in the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verses 10 through 12. Okay? Now, people get into this one text, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, and it says that the Spirit left Saul. Okay, King Saul. And everybody, oh, there, King Saul's not saved, and he's dead, and the Spirit left him, and all. Listen, don't confuse the church with Israel. Please. Please don't do it. But the power that God had given Saul left. Okay? Big difference. Big difference. There was special empowering. I wanted you to understand that that is... I, I see people freak out on this. The Holy Spirit left. That, that's where... Uh, the Calvinist, they have tulip. If you don't know what I mean, then don't worry about me. Uh, the Armenians have daisy. You know what daisy is, right? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Okay? Um... That ain't the way the Holy Spirit works. God doesn't say, I love you, oh, you sinned, and I'm not loving you no more. Now you're saved, now you're not saved, now you're saved, now you're not saved. That ain't the way it works. It's never been written that way. You can't prove that in the Old Testament, and you can't prove that in the New Testament. Um, there is times when I watch the Holy Spirit, who's empowering, pull back. Listen, the Spirit of God left the temple. Okay, you know what that means, right? That power's gone. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? That box? Remember the Philistines captured the bugger? And they but who was guarding the Ark of the Covenant? The Spirit of God. And they took it down to Dagon's temple. And they got up in the morning and that temple, the statue of Dagon fell down. And so they put the temple back up. And the next day it fell down again and they put it back up. That box ain't doing it. The Holy Spirit's doing it. Finally, he just busted the statue of Dagon and then gave everybody sores. And they put it on, remember they put it on a cart and they sent it up the valley toward the tribe of Dan, right? We don't want your stupid box because who had, what had happened? When they'd gone into the promised land, the priest went first and what were they carrying? The box. And so all the pagans were saying, Get the box, we'll be world conquerors. Right? But who was doing it? The Spirit of God. It wasn't a box. I mean, everybody's concerned about, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Listen, I can go make you one. I got the instructions for it in my Bible. It ain't a complicated piece of furniture. But I got news for you. If I make it, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is going to come and take care of it. He may look at it and say, what an idiot. Well, he, anyway, we won't touch that one. But you see what I'm trying to get at? We get into this mindset that says that's the pragmatism of humanity. Do you really believe if you memorize Genesis through Revelation and the maps and pray every day five times? Oh, no, Islam does five. You pray six times a day that you're going to be holier? I try to explain it to Christians and I can't get anybody to buy it very seldom. You know what? If you're saved today, you are as holy as you're going to get. You ain't going to get any holier. You ain't going to proceed to holiness. You may not believe it, but your faith to grow. But you are as holy. If you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, how holy are you? You're only as holy as Christ. Now, how holy is Christ? As holy as God. And that's why they call it the Holy Spirit. Okay? It, it is, the Holy Spirit isn't the lesser child. And yet I see people who are out driving themselves crazy trying to become holy. You can't do it. And you know what? I can usually see it when it happens. All right, so let me give you another verse on this empowering in the gospel of john chapter 6 verses 37 
through 40, it says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Good. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That's good. I like to know that. That all, that of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. You know what that is? That's some serious empowering going on there. Isn't it? Well, it seems like it to me. You guys may seem... Well, yeah, I already knew that. That's fine. To me, I just read it and go, whoa. You see the same thing in chapter 10, verses 27-30. You see it in Romans... Um, 8, 9, and 16 and 17 of Romans. You see it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It's an empowering. The Holy Spirit empowers. Fourth category, prophets. Okay? These prophets, we call them the majors and the minors. Okay? I, I don't know why we do that, but we do. We call, I think one wrote more and one didn't. All right? In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7... That would be a major prophet. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5. Both of those texts, you see it's the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord, which is the same, all doing what? Empowering the prophet. But you also see it in the minor prophets in Micah chapter 3, verse 8. You see that Micah was empowered by the Spirit of God, set aside by the Spirit of God. All right? So why I wanted you to see that is that then... In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit empowered people. I mean, everything from a craftsman. Somebody who was just going to make something for God. And he got empowered by the Holy Spirit and did it. I think that's cool. I see it in judges. I see it in national leaders. And I see it in prophets. This empowering that God does. So what I see is, is that God is in the relationship business. All right? That's what he does. And if we're really honest today, we are gathered here. Our lives are nothing but a bunch of relationships, aren't they? Sometimes they're big relationships, little relationships. Sometimes they're painful relationships. Sometimes they're joyful relationships. But it's just basically a relationship. I mean, our, we can have a relationship with a person standing in the express lane at the grocery store. Why? Because you're trying to get out and they're trying to get out and everybody's trying to get out. And so you're having some kind of relationship. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? It's all relationships. Okay? So is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the relationship. Go with me to the book of Acts. Chapter 15. This is called the Jerusalem Council. Okay, some things are happening. Oh, the, the Jews, the, the, the first church in Jerusalem is kind of freaking out because all these Gentiles are coming to salvation. And they're just hearing these amazing things. And they say, well, we got what are we supposed to do here? And in chapter 15, verse 28, it says this. Okay, the council comes together. This would be James, the Lord's brother. That's the first pastor, James, the Lord's brother. Okay, but you also have the disciples, Peter, John, a few of them guys, you know them, all right? They're all gathered together. They're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do with these. And then in verse 28, it says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon no greater burden than these essentials. Okay? So you see the Holy Spirit taking these men of God and giving them direction and saying, okay, here's what you need to be about, all right? But I also see the Holy Spirit in this relationship thing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 8, says this. Okay, this is Jesus telling his disciples in the upper room, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to be cool. Just wait. He'll come. <coughs> Verse 8 says, and he, when he comes. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the whole context. When he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been, past tense, judged. Interesting statement. When the Holy Spirit comes, guess what he's going to do? 
convict the world of sin. Do you know that's not your responsibility? I know a lot of Christians who want to convict a lot of people of sin. That's not your responsibility. And you know what? Best that I can conclude, you're not very good at it. The Holy Spirit is extremely good at it. Why? He's coming to what? Convict the world of sin. You know what's neat about that verse? Holy Spirit is involved with who? He has relationships with lost people. One of the things that I think that is hurting the church today is that people are getting saved and they don't know what from. Salvation is not an eternal life insurance policy. If you've never been convicted of sin, you've probably never been saved. Why? Well, I'm thinking that Holy Spirit is... His work is what? Salvation. And one of the things He's going to do is convict you that you need it. <laughs> right? So He convicts people of sin. But you know what? He, he deals with lost people. But you know what else He does? He also deals with believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says this. It says, We are one flesh with who? Spirit of God. Spirit of God. We are one spirit with who? The Lord. So we are one flesh, one spirit. With who? With God. When? Now. Now you may not believe that. That's fine. But Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says it's true. Okay? He's also has relationships with Christ. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13, 13 through 15 says that. We've already read it. He will do my will. He knows me. What does that mean? He knows what Jesus is doing. He knows what's going on. So the Holy Spirit has relationships with unbelievers, with believers, with Christ. Guess what else? With God. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Okay, so I want you to see that, and this is all just sort of a big glob thing that I want you to see that he, what he does hasn't changed. But I want to deal now with believers, because believers, we are told to do some strange stuff. We are called to walk in the Spirit. What the heck does that mean? We are called to be filled with the Spirit. What, what, what do you go to the... You know, I know a guy right now who calls himself the Holy Spirit bartender. All right? And he tries to fill you up with the Spirit. Now, wait a minute. I thought you already had the Spirit. Romans 8 says that if you don't have the Spirit, then you're just not saved. Well, okay, it doesn't say you're not saved. It says you're not His. I think that means you're not saved, right? So why would I go to the Holy Spirit bartender and give me a double shot? But that's what he does. And he runs around and makes a bunch of money doing silly stuff. So you're supposed to be filled with... It says I'm supposed to pray in the Spirit. And I see people who've taken that thing out and says that it's got to be this mind thing, mindless thing, and you just gibber off on something and you're praying in the Spirit. Is that really what it says? The disciples asked Jesus Christ, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray in this manner. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be thy name. That doesn't sound mindless to me. It sounds like there's, there's, there's a framework there. All right? But he also tells us that we get gifts of the Spirit. So now then, I kind of got that all laid out. I want you to go to Acts chapter, or Acts, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I have a great big pink star in a pink box around this phrase. Okay, whenever I look at my notes and I have a great big pink star in a great big pink box, that means it is very, very important that you hear this. Okay? And I want each of us to think on this. Okay? Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You really need to think about that. You know, I've heard this statement. Uh, Being in a church will make you a Christian like you standing in a garage will make you a car. 
Okay? First thing, if you have not been convicted of sin, then the Holy Spirit has not been speaking to you. And if you've been convicted of sin, there's a good possibility you're saved. But then ask yourself this, if I have been saved by the Spirit of God, what do you do now? I remember when I got saved, I asked the guy, I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Um, and he said, read the Gospel of John. Cool. So I read the Gospel of John. Now what am I supposed to do? Why? Did you read the Gospel of John? Uh-huh. Read it again. Cool. All right. So why do we have all these other 65 books? I could just read the Gospel of John like 150 times and be like, I don't know, really smart or something. See, that's what happened. See, the church bought pragmatism and we've literally gotten away from what we've been called to. Why? What have we been called to? Make disciples. Not converts. Why? Because if you're going to make converts, then you're going to go out and convict people of sin, try to make them feel bad enough that they'll do what? Say a prayer and they'll be saved. Okay? You know, I can't find in the Bible where it says, say a prayer and you'll be saved. Can't find it. It says you believe and you'll be saved. But it doesn't say pray. But then I see, well, you have a little faith. Yeah, okay, I got that one down. All right, do you see what I'm trying to get at? I, I want us to look at it because when I read this verse, we've read it a couple of times. All right, and I wrote a paper on the book of Galatians. All right? But when I read that, we read this, oh, them silly Galatians, they had become foolish. Why? Because they had begun in the spirit, they're now perfecting in the flesh. Really? How about us? Listen, our life in Christ was begun by the Spirit, right? That was that born-again thing, all right? And I believe that we who are gathered here today would all verbally acknowledge this thing. I think we'd all agree. You know, there may be some things in this church that you guys wouldn't agree with me and vice versa, but I think if we all agree right now, we can't be perfected by our flesh. We'd all agree to that. And yet, I wonder how many of us are trying. I mean, the intentions are honorable. I, you know, um, Castle Rock is trying to become the new Jerusalem. It is. We, we get church planners and church planners and church planners and church planners. And, and you know, I've, I've had the privilege of being here long enough. That I've seen n- numbers of them come and go. And, and, and now we've got a whole new crop coming in and, and they're all bless their hearts but they've learned that Terry's been here long enough that they, they, they don't use the phrase they want to build the church okay I'm not coming here to build a church because I'm going to say well, why are you competing with Jesus okay so they don't say that anymore but here's what they'll say to me I'm here for kingdom work that's cool And then I hear him describe it to me. And all I hear is pragmatism. If I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then this will be the outcome. Really? Pragmatism in the church thinks it can make itself holy. As the Galatians, the church today... We know that we were saved by hearing. And by that hearing, it was of faith. And salvation came by faith in Christ. Who is Christ? Who, what is he and what does he do? Paul wants us to know that sanctification comes by trusting solely and only in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when he was on the cross? He did not say it is really close to being finished. He said... It is finished. The whole upper room discourse that we were looking at, that would be 13 through 17 of the Gospel of John. He's basically saying, wait here, I'm going to die, I'm going to ascend to heaven, but I'm going to send the Spirit of God to just overwhelm you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth and you're going to do this but you can't do it until 
the Holy Spirit comes. All right? As we are saved by faith, we are perfected and sustained by that faith. By that faith. The only thing that you've ever been called to grow in is your faith. It isn't a blind faith. He's given you the scriptures, he's given you prayer, and he's given you the church. So it isn't blind, but you will grow in your faith. And the faith will come on the person of the Holy Spirit. We trusted in the saving work of the Spirit. But I have to ask this question. Do we trust in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? Second Peter says that, you know what? You will be partakers of the divine nature. What? You will be a partaker of the divine nature, but it's based on what? His promises. His promises. And he is faithful. Listen, if you do not become holy, then either you are not saved or God's a liar. Which one do you want to bet on? It is impossible for a child of God not to be holy. And yet I see Christians out trying to kill themselves to become what you already are. Now you may not believe it. You may not act like it sometimes. But it still don't make it not true. And you know what? He is so faithful that he will chasten you. And if he has to, he'll scourge you. You know what scourging is? That is beyond corporal punishment. Okay, that's beyond the belt. That's when they use the whip with the little metal things in there to rip your hide off. If he has to, he'll rip your hide off. Why? Because you are holy. You are holy. And you are a partaker of the divine nature. No one who has begun by the Spirit and entered into eternal life can have that life perfected by his flesh. It's impossible. Why? That's why I have to get rid of it. I have to get rid of this vessel. Look at your text. He starts it out. You foolish Galatians. Now stop right there. Look at verse 2. Why are you so foolish, Galatians? Look at verse 2. That's the only one thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you read your Bible, memorize that bugger, and just go out and do it, and therefore you were saved? No. How did you do it? You heard it, and you... Believe, And you know what? There was a whole bunch of weird stuff that was going on. Holy Spirit was convicting you of your sin. He was drawing you to a place that, you know what? You knew that you were a worm. That's what Calvin used to call it. Or no, Luther used to call it. Worm theology. And there's, there's a truth to it. I can't save myself. So do you think now that you are saved, you can make yourself holy? That's the argument of the book of Galatians. Paul says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now perfected by the flesh? And basically what was going on, Galatians was a Gentile area, Jesusizers had come in, Jewish people had come in and were saying, well, yeah, you've been saved by faith, that's really great, you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're saved, you're walking in power, but you need to be circumcised. What is that? This works. And did circumcision add to your salvation? Will circumcision make you holier? No. Did circumcision save you? No. So why would you go do it? And I mean, he uses some really nasty terminology in this letter. This letter is harsh. Harsh. The church in Galatia was compromising the gospel of grace by developing a system of human effort by which would be the holy that people could make themselves holy. You think, how much arrogance is in that? Verse 1, he says, Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, and, and the word bewitched is, a, is a, let me give you the definition. It is to charm some way, charm someone in a misleading way. 
It sounds good. It looks good. You know what? I think I can even do that. I'm, hey, this looks good. They become fascinated by their own capabilities. We become fascinated by our own works, by our own efforts. And we literally make sanctification a holy life. The life of Christ becomes something that I can accomplish on my own. And it's impossible. Because if you look at all of these lines, whether it's the experiential mind, whether it is the pragmatic mind, or whether it is the psychological sanctification line, they all have one thing in common. Every single one of them have something in common. Self. It's self-attaining. It is self-pleasing. It is flesh-pleasing. I can do this. It becomes a pattern for sanctification. Paul's point is, why would I trade in supernatural power for human effort? Listen, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Are there people out there who corrupted it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are you going to be so foolish that what was begun by the Spirit you are now perfecting in the flesh? Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual life. You know what's amazing about it? Continually. He is continually the source of spiritual life. You cannot achieve a spiritual goal with natural means. It's impossible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, verse 4, Our war is not with flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers in high places. You want to go do that? I know people who literally want to go out and pick a fight with demons. We need to go find a demon to bind or chain or something. Are you nuts? I don't want to mess with no demon. You know, I, I get people, listen, I, I am thrilled when my children listen to me. Why would I want to get a demon to try to listen to me? They don't listen to me. They could care less about me. And yet, in man's arrogance, he literally believes what? He can do these things. I don't want to... Listen, if you want to go out and fight demons, go. Okay? I'm not behind you. I'll get some people who will be behind you. I don't want in that fray at all. Why? I know what my flesh is about. And I don't need no demon ticking off my flesh. Listen, the Holy Spirit, let me give you this illustration. I got it from Linsky. The Holy Spirit, here's how he defined the Holy Spirit to a Christian. The Holy Spirit as the creator is to creation. Did you get that? How much creation do you have without a creator? Nothing. That is the same line that the Holy Spirit is to the Christian. How do you have a Christian without the Holy Spirit? You can't. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Okay? He who began, began that work, remember? Who saved you? What? He sustains it. He finishes it. We live by the Spirit. Remember, that's the Galatians 5. He says, here's what the flesh looks like. Here's what the Spirit looks like. The source of our life. Why would I perfect myself in the flesh? When I have supernatural abilities to do it. Unless we are perfected by the Holy Spirit, all efforts are in vain. All efforts are in vain. Okay? Now then, unless we... I, I want you... To, I'm going to bring this thing to a conclusion because I have one text that I want to give to you before we leave. All right? I give you three problems that are in the church today on the person of the Holy Spirit. They shame Him. They slander him. These three are the experiential movement, the pragmatic movement, and the psychological movement. The experiential movement has a complete misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit. Completely. They completely miss it. Um, literally to the point that you can be saved without the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then you get a second blessing or you get the Holy Spirit. Uh, they struggle with this statement. Is it the baptism of the Holy Spirit or is it the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Okay, and I know the answer and I'm not telling. All right. 
Because baptism with the Holy Spirit is His work. God said they are... Who's sinning? He's doing the will of He who sent Him. All right? They struggle with what is the filling of the Spirit. I mean, to the point where they have some people out there who are Holy Spirit bartenders. They definitely screwed up with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not confusing. Chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware of these gifts. Okay? Which would imply what? God doesn't make it complicated. But if I'm going around basing everything on a feeling or an experience, will you be confused? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? Um, what you will find in the experiential movement is that perfection by the flesh. Perfection by the flesh. They will look for signs and wonders. They want the mystical. They want the magical. Okay? Basically, these are all externals. Show me something. Okay? That is not faith. Faith is a thing hoped for that is not seen. Okay? They miss that the Holy Spirit is purifying. They miss that the Holy Spirit is personal. He is private. He is in the believer's heart. They miss all of that. He, the Holy Spirit becomes a genie. And they back away from the sayings of the Holy Spirit. They back away from the, the, the mentions of the Holy Spirit. And the things that they attribute to the Holy Spirit are not biblical. Okay? Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. We can be definite and absolute as we speak on the person of the Holy Spirit. As I know emphatically and can speak emphatically on the person of Jesus Christ, I can do the same with the Spirit of the living God. He isn't this mystical thing. He isn't this, ooh, I think that was him. Nope, ain't it. It's a small, still voice. The second one is the, pragma, the, the pragmatic movement. The pragmatic movement replaced the supernatural. Let me go, go through this really quick. The pragmatic movement, who's the focus? Man is. Who's the focus under the experiential side? Man is. Listen, between 500 and 1500 B.C., A.D., we call that the Dark Ages. I have no electricity. At 1500, we all of a sudden come up with the printing press. At the printing press, all of a sudden, we started coming up with what is called independent thinking. Okay, man realized that he was pretty smart. But you know what man started doing? They walked a harlot into Notre Dame, threw the priest out, and said, we are going to worship her. Okay, you know what we call that? The Age of Enlightenment. I'm sitting there going, that's brilliant. Okay, why? Because it became man's thinking. Thomas Paine wrote a book called The Age of Reason. I read that. I had to read it when I was in high school. I know they don't do it anymore. And he was half and half. Man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Man's wisdom, God's wisdom. And what we've done is we've incorporated the two. And when the time comes and there's a great achievement, man turns from the supernatural and he turns to the natural. And here it is. He becomes the capabilities of his own mind. You know what he does when he starts understanding the capabilities of his own mind? He begins to worship those things. Man has all the answers. He has all the questions. He has all the abilities to answer those questions. He has all the systems. And you know what? I can see it today, and the reason that I know emphatically it is is because I see a disinterest or even to the point of a lack of prayer. And when I see a lack of prayer or disinterest in prayer, all I know for emphatically is that person believes now I can do it. Listen, I learned a long time ago that prayer will drive you to the Word or the Word will drive you to prayer. And you, when you start understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, you understand you bring nothing to the table and you become desperate for Christ and the Spirit of the living God working in you. Um. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare, Spirit of the living God. You better understand that. What do we depend on? How many of us here ask for our daily bread? It's that simple. Okay, daily bread, well, it doesn't literally mean bread. Well, okay, what does it mean? It means the basic essence of life I need to be dependent on God for. Okay? Do you see that today? In the church. I'm not talking about lost people. In the church. You know what has happened? We believe in ourselves. If I get the right teaching, then I'll have the right program. I can solve anything. I see it. I see it. It's over and over. And over. It becomes man-centered preaching. 
You see it. How do I feel better? You have a spiritual problem? Let me have a man-made system to fix it. Then psychological sanctification is dealing with problems, deep problems, emotional problems. You just don't understand. I need a counselor. I need somebody to get in touch with my inner person, my little child, whatever they call it these days. I need that thing. Why? I need to find the answer. Where is it at? In yourself. You know what? It ain't in there. It ain't in there. You know what? Now listen, on this psychos thing, <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way, psychological sanctification. Psycho makes everybody think you're crazy. Okay? There are a few people out there that I say follow the word, they direct to the scriptures, and their prayer. Okay? That is the gift of exhortation. It's, it's no big deal. It's a spiritual gift again. Where does it come from? Holy Spirit, no problem. We are all called to help one another. Every one of us. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. We are all to what? Admonish the unruly. All to encourage the faint-hearted. All. We're all supposed to do that. Okay? But there are some who have a, a supernatural ability. But many that I see, most that I see today are outside of scriptures. that apart from the Holy Spirit. We want college counselors. We want somebody that's got a master's degree in something like that. We don't want a pastor. I know a church where they had a... a uh, uh, an awful circuit, awful, awful mess. Uh, uh, a boyfriend killed uh, 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 his girlfriend's child, and it wasn't his child. And it was awful. It was terrible. Okay? And so I talked to the pastor, and he was just broke up about it. And I said, Well, so what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to go get her professional help. So why do they pay you? I thought you were paid professional. It was a mess. Absolutely. But listen, if you got the Holy Spirit in there, you don't need... What counsel do you need above and beyond the Holy Spirit? Why? Listen, it's, it's man-centered. It's self-esteem. It's self-worth. It leads to greater confidence in your own abilities. All of these do. And it shouldn't, you shouldn't have a greater confidence than anything than in the Holy Spirit. I put all of my confidence in the Spirit of God. Listen. We are in happy times. We are pretty confident, aren't we? Kind of cruising along. Everything's going good. You know, I got healthy kids, healthy, healthy wife. Job's doing good. This is doing good. Everything's going good. But when what happens when you get sad? When bad times come? What happens when the time, when the pain is so deep that you you don't even want to exist anymore? What do you do then? What do you do then? What would you do if a person took you in and said, I want you to be my son. I want you to be just like my son. I want you to marry my daughter. I want you to be a part of everything we're doing. And then shortly thereafter, he wants you dead. He wants to kill you. You have to run and hide. You're going to have to hide in caves. You've got to go hide someplace where you've got to steal your food and hope that people bring you your food. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do if that man dies, you take his position, and God puts you in a place where you have oversight over a whole bunch of people? And then one day, you're just minding your own business, and you just happen to see somebody that's kind of cute as a button, and you fall in love with her, and you take her, and you lie with her, and all of a sudden, you find out she's got a husband, and you have him murdered. What are you going to do? What's your counselor going to tell you? What are you going to do with that? And then all of a sudden you have these kids and their first kid, all he wants to do is overthrow your kingdom. He wants you dead too. What are you going to do? Let me tell you something. That's heart-wrenching. That's gut-wrenching. That is in the depths of... I think he's struggling with depression. Depression? What are you going to do when the prophet of God comes in and confronts you with your very sins right in front of you? You're going to write Psalm 50, 51, and 52. Everything I just described to you, and there's more, happened to King David. Happened to King David. Who was his psychoanalysis person? Who helped him? You know what he did? He wrote the book of Psalms. You know what Psalms means? I'm praising God. A man wrestling with every imaginable problem in life. Problems that I pray that none of you ever have to go through. And the psalm shows that you have the solution, shows you the solution, and who do you go to? 
You know what? I have people, they come to me and I said, you know what? And they, they said, well, you just don't understand what I'm dealing with. This is just overwhelming. I said, take the book of Psalms, start at Psalm 1, verse 1. Start reading them suckers out loud. Make your mouth say it so your ears hear it. And all you're going to do is start praising God. That's what the book of Psalms is. Praises to God. And you'll start going. I said, my most darkest place. I've gotten to Psalm 10. Now, there's 153. Okay, and then you got that one great big one right stuck in the middle of 119. And that one there ought to keep you busy for a while. Okay, but if you do that, you guys know Ed Young. You guys remember Ed Young? He used to do that on a regular basis. He says, Terry, you've taught me a lot of things, but the greatest thing you ever taught me was the, the Psalms salve, he called it. He says, I am in pain. He says, my legs hurt me. He had, man, he had more problems, physical problems than I ever dreamed of. I would never wish on my enemies. And he had all these problems. And he says, man, I, there's times when my pain gets so bad. He says, the morphine doesn't work. The Oxycontin doesn't work. The combination doesn't work. He says, but you know what? I can go in there sit in my chair, prop up my feet so that my feet will quit hurting. His feet would swell up. People would look awful. You couldn't even see his toes. He'd prop up his chair, get his feet up, and he'd start reading Psalms. Start chapter 1. He says, now, i got a little farther than you have. He said, i got 23rd Psalm one night. He says, but you know what? The tears are rolling down my cheeks. And he says, and I praise God. And he says, he put me back to sleep and I rested all night. Here's a man who was grieving for his wife. His wife still doesn't know the Lord. He still wants her saved. How does he do it? He did it through the book of Psalms. Why? Because David went through more than any of you have ever been through. And he went through it consistently. Now, okay. Yeah, he did a lot of it himself. I'll give you that. But here's the problem. These three things that I've given to you, and, and you, can, you can agree with me or you can disagree with me, that's fine. I don't, that's, that's between you and God. Whether it's experiential, you know, oh, I just felt this. Well, that's good. Okay, I've seen the Grateful Dead and I felt things. All right? It wasn't God, but I felt it. And I, it was something. I remember when the uh, Cincinnati Reds won the World Series, I felt something. We all went down the Fountain Squares and woo Okay? They were getting all the money and we were spending it. Okay, I felt some. But I see people who are basing their walk with Jesus Christ and their holiness on. I felt it. I felt it. I see people who got the system. Let's get 40 days. You get 40 days, we can what? What are you doing 40 days? I looked at my Bible and God seems to do everything in 400 year cycles. I'm thinking that it's hard to get people convinced of that. All right? You see what I'm trying to get at? We're just throwing stuff at it. If we do this and this and this and this, and this all is going to happen. Really? Or we get psychology. If I get a counselor and he can look at me and tell me what's wrong with me, tell me about my issues and tell me about, you know what? No, man. What was David's issues? He was anointed of God. And God said, you will be dependent on me, period. And if not, I'll make you dependent. Here's why I don't agree with any of the three. Okay? I'm going to close with this verse. And you guys can go look it up yourself. It comes out of Prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else. You got that? There's nothing in creation that is more deceitful than the heart. And it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's cut and dry, people. That's cut and dry. Paul told the foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? Who has charmed you into thinking that you can now make yourself holy? When the heart is desperately wicked, it is sick, and who can understand it? You know what David did, King David? King David understood the depravity of man and the sovereignty of God. You know why? He sought the Spirit of God. Help me to understand. Seems cliche, doesn't it? God, what would you have me do? Be holy. That's the will of God. Is your holiness. Comes right out of First Thessalonians chapter 4. It's right there. Be holy. How are you going to do it? What you've begun in the spirit, would you perfect in the flesh? Here's the easy of it. Is it about you or is it about him? It's not complicated. If you think you can do it, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, go for it.
Knock yourself out. All right? And I'll wait for you to get back. Because you'll come back. Because I've seen it. You know why? I tried. I tried. I thought I'm a pastor of God. This is ought to be easy to shepherd the people of God. <laughs> he said, right. All right, go ahead, Terry. Knock yourself out. And after I about knocked myself out, he says, now you've done it. All right. You're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I do not convict of sin. The Word of God convicts of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who sanctifies? I can't sanctify you. Dude, I can't sanctify me. Why? Because my heart deceives me. And if it deceives me, then I bet you your heart deceives you. And if it's deceiving you, I know it's going to deceive me. That's why we want the Spirit of God. Why? We want the church to be the manifestation of Jesus Christ. That's the standard. My call, what my passion is, is to present every man complete in Christ. And I'm not going to try to do that without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because I ain't convinced that God would like what I'd show him. I want you complete in Christ. And I am not going to do that without the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Nor can I. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. You are doing amazingly more than I ever dreamed. Father, uh, and we come together today to, to draw upon your spirit. An an empowering, an enabling. Father, you took the judges, you took the prophets. Father, you took the craftsmen, you took the national leaders. You empowered them for the task that you set before. Father, now you take your people in the power of your spirit. Draw them to your word, draw them to your body, your church. And Father, you unify them in one person. Jesus Christ. And then the glory, the declaring of Jesus Christ shines through from the individuals and the corporate body. Father, that's a miracle. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. To your glory and praise. Amen.